Amen. All right. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Frankie Toole, like Ethan said. Uh, I get the privilege of being a pastor here at Connection Church. And uh, if you're a member here, I know you were excited that it was me coming out, not Blake, because it's hot and Blake preaches a long time. And so you saw me and you just got excited because we don't have to sit in here too long. So with that being said, I do know it's hot. I'll try to be um, as quick as possible, but uh, maybe it'll start feeling better. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, if it's your first time here, I want to give you a special uh, good morning and welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're catching us in the middle of a series called Seven Churches, where we're going through and we're, we're highlighting the seven churches uh, mentioned in Revelation. Uh, and with that being said, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation uh, chapter 2. Uh, we'll be talking about the church of Thyatira. All right, so that's a weird name. If I say it wrong, I'm sorry. But uh, Thyatira, so uh, Revelation 2, starting in verse 18, while you flip there, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for your word and what it says. God, I pray that we receive it, God, and that we just don't receive it, but we apply it to our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18, like I said, this is uh, a letter to the church in Thyatira, all right? So um, Jesus appears to John, and John uh, sees, and he, write, uh, he writes down what he sees, and he writes seven letters to seven different churches, all right? And this one is Thyatira. It's the smallest church that gets written to, but it gets the longest letter. So that's pretty uh, cool and significant. So let's jump in, verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Right. All right. First thing, this city, a little background on it, it's, it's a military base, and it's also a big, big part of the trade routes back then. It would come through this city, so uh, it would probably be pretty wealthy. One thing the city was known for was purple dye, which uh, back then was a big deal. So they had purple dye. They were, they were a pretty wealthy city, uh, military base, so pretty populated all right, but what we need to know is this letter is to the church, not the city, all right? So it's to the church. Jesus is speaking to the church, not the city, all right? So these words are the Son of God, whose eyes are, are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All right, that's, that sounds weird. We're going to come back to it. All right, verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So this letter starts out, Jesus is telling John to write down the good things this church is doing. All right, so this church is doing good things, four, four good things right. So that's our first point, what they are doing right. So what is this church doing right? He lists out these four things. This love and faith is the first one he lists. Love and faith. He, he, they're doing love and faith right. They're loving others the best that they can. They're, they're faithful. They have faith. All right, so let's, let's look at these a little bit deeper. Love, what do we know about love? So if Jesus is saying they're doing love right, that means uh, they're, they're loving by the standards of the Bible. So what does the Bible say about love? We know in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? All right, he doesn't say something like, uh, don't murder or don't do this, whatever he says, to, uh, to paraphrase, love God and love others. 
All right, so we know loving others and loving God is a really important thing to Jesus. So it's, it's really good that this church uh, was told that they love well. If you're going to do anything well as a church, the number one thing you should do well is love others. All right, so what does it look like to love others in our lives? All right, for us, we should love, the way, uh, love in the way that the Bible defines it. All right, the Bible defines love as unconditional, all right, which is opposite to the world, because if you look at the world, the world's love is extremely conditional. All right, the world says, if you do this, I will love you. Right, it's like this, I'm a big Braves fan. If you know me, you knew that already. I'm a big Braves fan. All right, when they're winning, I love them. Last year, great year. We won the World Series. I love the Braves when they won. The year before, all right, if you don't know, the Braves basically got put out of the playoffs. Uh, they had a big lead. It was depressing, and I hated the Braves at that point. All right, my love was conditional. All right, I remember taking all of my Braves shirts, putting them in a trash bag, and throwing them outside. That's a true story. I really did that. All right, I couldn't stand them on that day, but the day they won the World Series, loved them. All right, my love was or is conditional for the Braves. That's how the world's love is. It's conditional. However, biblical love is unconditional. All right, and the greatest picture of this love is the cross. The cross is unconditional. No matter what you've done, the cross is still offered to you as a gift. All right, it's unconditional love. You don't have to reach a certain standard to deserve the cross. The cross is for you no matter what. All right, then Jesus says for us to imitate him. All right, so if we're going to imitate him, we have to love the way that he loves. And his love is unconditional. That's what the cross is. He showed his love on the cross in unconditional love. And if we as Christians are called to imitate Christ, we have to love the same way that he loves. So the question to ask yourself today is this. Do you love others unconditionally? All right, before I go any deeper, I'm going to let you know I'm, I love preaching and asking you Questions. All right, I want you to ask yourself these questions and really think about the answers. All right, do you love others unconditionally? All right, do you truly love others? All right, I say this a lot to our, our middle and high school. I get to serve as their student pastor on Wednesdays, and when I speak to them, uh, uh, I, I talk about this sometimes, but, but love isn't just tolerating others. All right, like we, we think if we don't punch the coworker that we showed him love, like your coworker gets on your nerves, you didn't knock him out. That's love. That's not love. You just didn't hit him. All right, love is actually loving on him and caring for him and, and caring about his soul and his position with God no matter what. All right, love is not just tolerating others. It's truly showing love, wanting them to see the same love that you got shown on the cross. All right, for example, all right, me and Blake, we work together at the church. If I walk into the office tomorrow morning and there's one K-cup of coffee left, all right, and he grabs it and makes himself a coffee, I have two options. I can punch him in the face or I can show him love and, and, and understand that he got there first. He got the last coffee. It stinks, but it's what happened. All right, we can show love, all right, but love isn't just tolerating others. So again, do you love unconditionally? All right, if someone were to describe your love, would it be unconditional? And listen, I know it's difficult. I really do. It's difficult for me 
Two, but if we're truly going to imitate Christ, the number one thing we should make sure we do is imitate his love. Because that's what Christ was all about. He always showed love to others. So as you go throughout your week, don't make it a, a goal to just tolerate your coworkers or tolerate your family or tolerate whatever, but show true love to others. Show, show an action that is nothing but love to someone else. So again, ask yourself, do I love unconditionally? All right, but not only uh, were they doing love right, all right, so the, thi the Thyatirans, if that's the word, the church of Thyatira, they, they were good at showing love. Their love was unconditional, but they also had faith. They were faithful. All right, they had faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Faith that pursuing Jesus is the only fulfillment that they, they needed in life. But again, the question is, do you have this faith? All right, if you look at the New Testament, there are so many times when people show just what faith they have in Jesus by doing whatever it takes to just get to see him face to face. I think of the unclean woman who, who goes through a crowd just to touch the hem of his garments or, or the, the friends who take their, their friend who can't walk and cut a hole in a ceiling and lower their friend. That takes amazing, extreme faith. All right, to, to cut a hole in the ceiling and lower your friend all right, that takes a faith knowing that God and Jesus is who he says he is and he will do something. All right, these are people, they, they did whatever it took to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Right, and the only reason you would be willing to do something that crazy is that, is, is that you had faith that he is who he says he is. Because true faith is shown through our actions. Our actions will accurately portray our faith. For example, when you, when you walked in here today, I didn't, I didn't watch you, but I'm going to guess you walked in here, you found a seat, you unfolded the little thing, and you sat in it. All right, that's an action of faith. You had faith that this chair was going to hold you up. You didn't do a little test run and bring a cinder block to make sure it could hold that up. If it holds that up, it can hold me up. You, you just had faith that the chair would hold you up. And I know that through your actions because you're sitting in the chairs right now. All right, it's the same thing in our relationships with our relationship with Christ. If we truly have faith in him, then our actions will show it. All right, in your life, in your life, do you, do you take your problems, your worry, your anxiety, your fear, your insecurities, your messiness, do you bring it to him and lay it at his feet? Or that's when you know someone has a true faith in Jesus, when they take the hard stuff of their life and they bring it to him and they go to him face to face and they know that he can deal with it. And you trust in his plan and you have faith that he's got a greater plan than you do. So today, ask yourself, do my actions reflect that? Do my actions reflect a true faith in Christ or do my actions reflect a faith in me? A trust in me and trust in I can figure it out myself. All right, what do your actions reflect about your faith? All right, those were the first two positive characteristics given to the church in Thyatira. They, they love people well and they had faith. But what are the two next things? Service and perseverance. 
All right, service and perseverance. So let's look at service first. All right, Thyatira is commended for their service, their, their hearts to serve others. And I think this is the number one thing Christians today, probably in the West, in the United States specifically, miss. They miss the fact that we are meant to serve others. All right, note that the, the service comes, it's a product of love. So if you go back, if you don't have love, unconditional love for others, you're not going to be able to serve others. But we miss serving others more than anything else. I think about it, what, what does God say to a Christian when they reach heaven, when, they, when, they're die, or when they've died and they're, they're face to face with him? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. All right, not well done, my good and faithful servant theologian or my perfect church attendee or my, my faithful teacher or preacher, but he says my faithful servant. Right, that has to mean something. That has to put importance on the, the, the act of service to serve others. All right, so what does it mean to serve? All right, it means to put your needs, your wants, and your desires below someone else's in order to elevate their needs and wants and desires. Basically, you put yourself and, and what you want in life below what someone else wants at that moment. All right, so ask yourself, do you serve others? All right, the best way to figure this out is First ask, do I serve those who are close to me? Do you serve your spouse? Do you serve your kids? Do you serve your parents? Do you serve uh, your coworkers, your close friends? Do you serve those that are close to you? Because if you aren't serving those closest to you, you're probably not serving those that you don't know as well. All right, I remember when I was doing my, my premarital counseling, I got married about a year and a half ago. Uh, I was doing my premarital counseling and uh, Blake was doing it, and all he talked about for a long time was serving your spouse. And I remember at that moment, I was like, easy, I got this. All right, and if you're married, you know that it's not easy, and you don't got this. All right, and I thought I understood what he meant at that point, you know, before I was married, before my wife moved into my house, and before we shared everything together. I thought I knew what serving was then. All right, about two months into it, I realized I didn't know what it was, and I figured it out real quick. All right, now my wife is pregnant, and I've, I've learned even more about serving. All right, but the thing is, serving is the defining characteristic of a Christian. So does serving characterize you? All right, when, when you look at Jesus' time on earth in the Bible, he is constantly doing things for others, healing folks, uh, providing food, just doing all these things. And I know, I know he's Jesus and we're not Jesus. And I'm not asking you to be Jesus, but if we are to imitate him, we better be serving others. Because that's what he was doing. And, and when we look at how much he served others, I know for me, when I look and I read and I see, see how much he served, it really reminds me of how selfish I am. And how, how quick I am to justify my selfishness. I'll say something like, well, I've been doing a lot lately. Or I'm just overworked right now. Just let me get a nap. I'm just a little tired. Whatever it is, we will, we will quickly justify our, our selfishness instead of serving someone else. And we've missed the whole point of serving. All right, serving's hard, but the point of serving is sacrificing for someone else. And there's thousands of ways 
to sacrifice. Think about the people wearing blue shirts today. All right, they're sacrificing their comfort. Maybe it's speaking to a new person or standing outside in the heat. And then think about people uh, wearing orange, serving an orange today. They're sacrificing their sanity because those kids are crazy. Trust me, I'm there every week. All right? But we have to sacrifice in order to serve. So ask yourself this today. Is service something that describes me? Am I a servant? Am I quick to serve others or am I quick to be selfish? So ask yourself that today. And then not only uh, a service, but the last one, perseverance. All right, the ability to continuously follow God no matter how difficult or how easy it gets. All right, throughout life, everyone will go through times that are difficult, times that are easy. And during those times, no matter what we, we are doing or what, what's happening, it's important for us to continually be pursuing God. And it takes true perseverance to do that. You know, I think back on difficult times in my life, and the only thing I really knew I could rely on no matter what was God. Right, the, the, the things of this world will let you down. It's not a matter of if, but when. They will let you down, and the only thing I was able to really rely on was God. And that's what true perseverance is. Right, if, if you uh, played sports or were a part of a club or did something like that, you, you kind of know uh, a little bit of what this lot is like. It's like winning a championship. All right, you work hard day after day after day after day, then you go and you play and you, and you win and you keep going, and then finally at the end your work is worth it because you get to hold the prize. And that's what perseverance is. Christianity, the daily Christian life, is a battle. It's a battle till the end, and then we get, to, we get to see and hold the prize, which is an eternity with Jesus. So ask yourself, do I have that perseverance? All right, really, we can ask ourselves this, is do these characteristics, all four of them, all right, do they characterize us as a church, first off, and then second off, do they characterize you as a person? All right, if someone were to walk into our church and examine it, would they be able to say that these four characteristics characterize our church? That we're loving, that we're, we're faithful, that we're serving, and that we, we persevere through it all. Would those four things be characteristics of Connection Church Vidaea? And it all starts with, with every single one of us to, 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 to individually examine ourselves and realize if we ourself are showing these characteristics. So I challenge everyone in here to take these four characteristics, hold them up like a mirror, and look at, look at them and look at yourself and ask yourself, am I characterized by this? And listen, if, if they do, if you can hold up that mirror and you say, I think these do characterize me, listen, don't stop. That's the last one, perseverance. Don't stop persevering. And listen, if they don't, if they don't characterize you, all right, the, the only thing I can tell you is whatever's, whatever's causing you to not be characterized from that, cut it off and pursue God. Cut it off, pursue Christ, look at him. 
Right, so are those, are those characteristics of us as a church and you as a person? All right, so those were the, the four things that uh, Jesus said the church in Thyatira were doing right. All right? But if you keep reading, you're going to see that they were doing some things wrong. Some, some pretty big things wrong, too. So verse 20, let's pick it up. Let's see what he says. Nevertheless, I have this against you. So he said, you did these right. That's good. But here's the bad news. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. All right, so who is Jezebel? All right, so we don't know for sure if this is a woman whose actual name was Jezebel or uh, in the Old Testament, there was a woman named Jezebel. I'll tell you about her in a second. She was pretty rough, and we don't know if he was just pretty much like giving her that name, saying she's like Jezebel. So who was Jezebel in the Old Testament? All right, Jezebel in the Old Testament was uh, the wife to King Ahab, and basically what she did was she influenced a lot of his decisions, and a lot of the decisions uh, she, she made him make were bad ones. Basically, uh, she would, uh, they would not allow the people living under his uh, command to worship God, the one true God, and, and they forced uh, some other gods on them, and she was just pretty much a bad girl, all right? Bad problem, all right? And then this Jezebel... In Revelation, it has a lot of similarities. You can see why she would be called Jezebel. All right, she was starting up this, this false teaching. All right, and this false teaching, teaching would basically uh, go like this. Give God your heart, but do what you want with your body. Give God your heart, but do what you want with your body. So she was, she was teaching some false teachings. They weren't true. All right, we're going to see what else she said. But first off, if you are a pregnant woman and you're pregnant with a girl, Jezebel as a name, just go ahead and cross it off your list, all right? I don't know if it was on there, but it shouldn't be now, all right? So pick back up. All right, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So she's, being a, she's a false prophet, and what she's doing if she's leading this group of people into sexual immorality and into eating uh, uh, food sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of, hi of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. All right, we can read that right there, and we can see, like, that, that's serious. Jesus is serious. It's like one of those threats you get from your dad when you're little. You're like, uh-oh, he's serious, all right? So that's what's going on right here. Jesus is serious about it. He was serious about what they are doing wrong. All right, so let's look at point number two, what they are doing wrong. All right, what are they doing wrong? First thing they're doing is they're tolerating sin. All right, specifically for Thyatira, it was sexual immorality and idolatry. All right, if we look at the church today, what are the two things that we tolerate most? Sexual immorality and idolatry. All right, it's crazy that this was uh, so long ago and now we're in the 21st century and it's the exact same thing. All right, it reminds me of 
the crusaders, not Robert Toombs, but the actual crusaders who were uh, responsible for the crusades. And if you don't know what that was, basically these guys, uh, they thought they were following Jesus and they went to war killing a bunch of folks. But if you read the Bible, you obviously see that that's not what God wants, but they did it anyways. And what they would do before they go to war is they would get baptized. All right, and when they would get baptized, they would hold their sword in their hand and hold it above water. So basically they'd get baptized their whole body except their hand holding the sword. Basically saying, God, you can have all of me except my sword. I'm gonna do what I want with the sword. All right, we do the same thing now. We get baptized and in our hand, we're holding on to sexual morality and idolatry. God, you can have all of me, all of me that you want, except this. All right, we're guilty of this. So let, let's, let's look at these two real quick. What is sexual morality? All right, it comes from the Greek word porneo. All right, you can guess what is derived from that, but the Greek word porneo, and, and the definition of this, uh, of sexual morality, is any kind of sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. All right, key word is any kind. That means flirting, that means lusting, that means homosexuality, that means masturbation, that means pornography, anything that isn't between you and your spouse. And listen, here's, here's what we need to know is that God thinks this is a big deal. All right, look back at 22 and 23. Look what he says. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pay each of you according to your deeds. Listen, that is brutal. That sounds brutal. Better suffering. Suffer intensely. And I think it just shows how serious God is about our purity. All right, so the next time you try to flirt with the line, think about how, how, how serious God is about it. No matter what it is, if, if you're just trying to maybe like just be a little flirtatious with a coworker or take the right picture for that Facebook selfie from the right angle, whatever it is, it's a big deal to God, so it should be a big deal to us. All right, sexual morality is like holding a fire to your chest, expecting not to get burned. If you hold a fire right here, eventually it's gonna burn you. Because listen, every affair starts uh, starts with just a little spark, a little, a little thing that we think we can hold on to, a little flame uh, without being uh, uh, burned. It gets closer and closer until everything is on fire and you lose your house, your wife, your kids, and everything you've worked so hard for all because of a little spark at first. So, so my suggestion to you right now is don't think you can handle it. Don't think you can flirt with the line. Don't think you can hold the fire out just far away enough where you don't get burned. So husbands and wives, focus on each other only. It's just y'all two. Focus on each other. Singles, not married. If you're dating, this still counts as you. Listen, set boundaries and respect them. All right, I, I, I preach a lot to middle school and high schoolers, so I'm very familiar with this. Set boundaries. All right, it's easy to set boundaries. It's easy to go to someone you respect, 
that's also a Christian and, and them help you set boundaries. But listen, if you set boundaries but don't respect them, there's no point. So set boundaries. So, so what you need to ask yourself is this, do I take sexual morality serious? Do I take purity serious? All right, but not only uh, did, he, did he say that sexual morality was, was bad in their church, but also idolatry. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is any time that you put something else in God's place, which I know sounds crazy because none of us out loud would willingly admit, oh, I've put this in place of God because we all think that we're pursuing God uh, the best we can. But listen, this is what we do far too often. We constantly direct our full attention and devotion onto something other than God, whether it be sports or, or your child's sports or money or success in our jobs or, or fame and friendships or relationship and sex or, or whatever it is, just having the most picture-perfect American dream life is the biggest idol in our country. Or no matter what it is, we, we all build idols in our life. So, so there's just two questions we can ask ourselves. One, what is our idol? Right, the best way for you to find out what your idol is is to see where your time, money, and energy go. Right, what do you spend the most money on? Right, do you spend your money uh, do it, uh, using things to glorify God and, 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 or, or are you using your money to glorify your idol? Right, it's half your paycheck spent on, on cars and toys and, and things that of this world that we enjoy, or, or do you use your money to glorify God? Right, what do you spend the most time doing? Right, do you spend the majority of your time doing things to help you pursue God and living missionally and living for Him? Or is the majority of your time used to pursue your idol? And then last, what do, you, what do you spend your energy on? Are we, all, we all know this. We all have limited energy. There's only so much energy we can give out throughout the day. So what do you spend that energy on? Is it things that glorify God, that help you pursue him more? Or do you, do you use your energy to help uh, uh, pursue your idol and things that won't last? Because how sad would it be in, in, in our lives, if, if you waited to the end to realize that you spent your whole life pursuing something that's going to fade away, that on your deathbed you realize what you just spent your whole life working after is something that's not going to matter once you die. I will work insanely hard to get the picture-perfect dream house. I got hardwood floors, marble countertop, perfect cabinets. All right, and then in 20 years, shag carpets will be back in and someone's gonna throw one in your perfect house and you'll be dead and there's nothing you can do about it. All right, are you gonna spend your life pursuing something that doesn't matter or do you spend your life pursuing Christ? So what is your idol? And the second question and the most important one is how do I smash this idol? All right, first you have to realize what truly is an idol in your life. So that's, that's why we have the first question. You can't smash your idol until you realize what your idol is. All right, then you cut it out and you put your eyes on God. Right, which seems drastic because 
Sometimes idols aren't necessarily bad things, but they can be good things that we turn into God things. If you turn a good thing into a God thing, that one O makes a big difference and it's become a bad thing. Right? And it's hard to build idols when you're constantly focused on God. So what is your idol? It's a great question we can all ask ourselves. We all have them. It's different for all of us. But what is your idol? And are you ready to take the next step to smash this idol? And then the last question I want, you to, or want to ask you is, what are you tolerating? We talked about the, the Thyatirans. They're, they're, they're tolerating sexual morality and idolatry, and that might be true for you today. You might be tolerating that in your life, or it might be something else. But is there, is there something in your life that you know you shouldn't tolerate, but you do anyways? All right, the, the church of Thyatira, they were tolerating sin. All right, and the, the second thing the church of Thyatira was doing, and this is the reason they tolerated sin, was because they didn't take God seriously. All right, they didn't take God serious. They didn't take what he said seriously. And then there's, they did... They did this by doing two different things. One, they didn't take sin seriously. Right, we talked about this a little already, but Thyatira didn't take sin seriously. That's why they were following Jezebel, and that's why they were uh, 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 acting in her sexual immorality and her idolatry. And sometimes in, in today's world, uh, us specifically, we don't take sin serious either. Sin has become something so rampant and, and, and big in our culture, in our, in our country, that us as Christians have quit taking it serious, that it's creeped into our life, and we might even be blind to it and not realize it, but that's how, that's how sin is just not taken seriously. All right, the Bible says to cut out all the sin in our life no matter what it, no matter what it takes. But what we like to do is, 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 is leave it in there and convince ourselves it's not that bad. All right, because Billy Bob over here, he's doing the same thing but a little bit worse. You know, I know I got drunk on the 4th of July, but he gets drunk every weekend, so I think I'm good. All right, do you take sin seriously? Do you truly think about how, how sin breaks God's heart? And how he, he hates sin. All right, do you do whatever means are necessary to eliminate sin from your life? But not only that, they, they didn't take sin seriously, but they didn't take his justice seriously. Listen, God is a good and just God. That means he would not leave sin unpunished. He's the best judge there is. He is just. He is not going to leave sin unpunished. He said sin deserves a punishment, so he's going to give out the punishment. All right, sometimes we like to forget this, and we, we assume that we're, we're good enough when we do enough of the right things that we can avoid his justice, that it's, it's okay if we watch porn because we didn't have premarital sex, or it's okay if we harbor hatred to, towards the coworker because we didn't murder them. It's okay that I got drunk because I don't do it every weekend. Listen, God's justice is real. And he will punish sin that needs to be punished. So the question is, do you take his justice seriously? 
Your, your repentance should be evidence. When we sin, we should be moved to conviction. Then that conviction should move us to repentance. But if, but if you sin with no conviction, then you aren't taking his justice seriously. So ask yourself, do I take his justice seriously? And the last thing the church of Thyatira was doing wrong was that they weren't different from the world. Or they weren't willing to give up worldly things. Thyatira had gotten themselves into a mess. So basically a big reason that they started to follow uh, Jezebel is because, like I said, they were this big town for the, the trading route, and they were worried that if they didn't do what Jezebel said, which was uh, follow uh, into sexual immorality and idolatry, that the people who weren't Christians would not like them and not do business with them. So they were worried that if they didn't do these things, they would lose business and lose money. But ultimately, they just weren't willing to give up the worldly things for God. And as Christians, we're called to oppose the world, to be different. Listen, if I took your life and compared it to someone who openly confesses to be an unbeliever, would there be noticeable differences? And I'm not talking about church attendance. Or I'm talking about the way you are outside of Sunday church or the way you are outside of small group. Are you different from the world? Because this is a big problem in America. This is a big problem specifically where we live in the Bible Belt. All right, when we don't live opposite to the world, someone who thinks they're a Christian but isn't really is going to be reassured because they're going to look at your life and know that you claim to be a Christian, but y'all live the same. So if they claim to be a Christian, I must be too. And what we're doing is we're persuading unbelievers that they're really saved. All right, and it's a problem. Right, are you living for the world or are you living for God? There's, there's no in-between. We get very used to thinking of how our world works and everything's a scale. All right? Clothes are scaled, weight is scaled. Uh, if you look at grades in school, they're scaled. Uh, you got to pay scale. Everything is scaled. But when it comes to following God, it's no scale. And we try to put it on a scale. We try to put, we followed God 7 out of 10 uh, this week. We're at 70%, but there's no scale. It's yes or no. You're either following God or you're following the world. You can't be halfway in between. You can't have your eyes on some things of the world and still follow God. Your eyes are either on God or on the world. And the ultimate reason that we do this and that the Thyatirans did this is they put worldly things over God. We take the, the things this world has to offer and we convince ourselves that they're better than God. All right, we, we, we do this today. We look at the wealth this world has to offer and we think if we can just obtain X amount, then we'll be all right. But once you hit X amount, X amount goes up and you want to hit the next and then the next and then the next. All right, look at the people on Shark Tank. All right, so show if you haven't seen it, not about sharks, it's about investors. All right, so Shark Tank, some of the richest people in the world, billions of dollars, but they, they went and started a show to make even more money. So if the billionaires of this world aren't satisfied with money, what makes me or you think we will be satisfied with what we can achieve? If they're not satisfied with money, we won't ever be satisfied with money. Or, or we look at the, the sex this world has to offer. 
And what does the world say? Do, do sex however you want with whoever you want. And we think if we can live by that, we'll be satisfied. But, but look, at, look at celebrities. Look how often they have divorces. Look at these famous rappers or whoever that get to have sex with all these different girls. And it's just another one, another one, another one. Listen, it won't satisfy you. And so if it won't satisfy them who get to live by the world's standards to the highest point, why do we think it would satisfy us? Listen, the only thing that will truly last forever and truly satisfy us is a relationship with God. And sadly, the church at Thyatira forgot this. They looked at things of the world, they looked at those things for satisfaction. So the question is, have you forgotten this? Do you look at the world for satisfaction? Listen, are you doing this? Do you value worldly things over God? Do you care more about the standards of the world rather than the standards God has? Ask yourself that. We, look, we looked at the things they did wrong. Right? And he, they highlight the things they did wrong for us today so that we can look at them and, like I said, hold them up as a mirror. Ask yourself, do I do these same things? Because if it was wrong for them, it'll be wrong for us. So this passage has shown us the things they've done good and the things they've done bad. And then this last part is an encouragement to believers an encouragement to the people in their church. So verse 24, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secret. So he's talking to the people who, who didn't follow Jezebel. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give you authority over the nations. One, the one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what we see is two different types of people in Thyatira. First one, we see those that are faithful. That's who this, this last part of the passage is talking to, those that are faithful, right? And, and we, can, we can classify ourselves into this category. If you're faithful to Christ, if you've truly given your life to him and you're truly faithful to his word and what he says and pursuing him, I got two things for us to remember. First thing, keep running the race. Keep running the race. The race, the, the, the Bible talks about the Christian life as a race, how you have to keep pursuing with your eyes on the prize. 2 Timothy 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. For Christians here today, keep running the race. Don't back down. I know it can be difficult. I know it can be tiring, but there is no greater reward in life than living for Christ. Second thing is this. It isn't easy, but it's worth it. And there's two things that we need to know. There will be false teaching. 
There will be people like a Jezebel try to sway and lure you into this false teaching that tries to decorate the Bible and take out of it and send fit their agendas into the Bible. But listen, all right, you'll be able to you'll be able to tell when these are false teachings if you're focused on God, if you're focused on Jesus, if you're focused on His Word and His teaching. So stay focused on God. Stay focused on His Word. And the second thing is, you will have to fight sin. All right, you will have to fight it. In our lives as Christians, it will be a constant battle to fight sin. All right, I want to encourage you to make war with sin. Don't just lie down and let sin overcome you. Make war with sin. Look to God, pursue Him. So Christians, in here today, ask yourself, are you running the race and pursuing God with all that you have, key word, all that you have. That's what it takes. It takes every ounce of you. Or are you coasting, just easing by? Listen, the most tragic thing that can happen to a Christian is that they try to coast their way to heaven. They try to just chill and they try to coast their way instead of pursuing and running as hard as they can. So are you running the race? Are you pursuing Christ with everything you have? So that's the first category. If you're in that, you should be asking yourself those questions. And the second category that we see uh, in the church of Thyatira is those that are walking in sin. Those that are walking in sin. And there's two things for you to remember. First one is this, repent. I would see in Scripture, God, God gave them an opportunity to repent, but they didn't. Listen, turn away from your sin, run towards God. There's no better time to do that than right now. Right now, give, give your life to Christ if that's what it takes. Give, give up your sin. There's no better feeling than giving to God what you can't handle. Repent of your sin. Pursue him, you will find the most fulfillment in life when you pursue God. And the second thing is this. Take God's invitation seriously. All right, too often people begin to think that they, they can earn their way to salvation, that they can do enough good or, or do enough Christian things in, in, in that way and they'll, they'll be all right at the end. That the invitation is kind of just words that oh, what really matters is your actions. When this isn't true, what matters is your, your heart, your standing with God. And when you do that, you, you aren't taking his invitation serious. Listen, this invitation is the key to life. Because you, you may never know when your time will end. Listen, you never do. And the invitation is here for you today. Repent from your sin. Run to him. So the last thing I want to leave you with is this. Where are you? Are you one of the faithful? Or are you one that is walking in sin? Listen, ask yourself that today. And while we respond and worship Ask yourself, am I walking in sin or am I one of the faithful? 
And if you are walking in sin, what is holding you back from surrendering to God? And if you come to that point when, when you're ready to surrender, you know what it is and you want to cut it off and you want to pursue God. Listen, find someone from our prayer team in the back and just ask them to pray with you. There's no better time to repent and give your life to Christ than right now. And if you're part of the faithful, if you've truly surrendered your life to Christ, while we worship, I want you to ask yourself, reflect on this. Am I giving my all? All. Am I giving my all to Christ? Am I giving my all to the mission? Am I giving my all to everything he wants me to pursue? Am I giving my all? And if not, ask yourself, what's holding me back? What's holding me back from giving it all? Just listen, if, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He wants all of it, all of you, to pursue him. So as we worship, ask yourself those things. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. I thank you for all you've done. I thank you for your word and your love and your mercy, God, for, for dying on the cross for our sins. I pray that if there was anyone in here who didn't have a relationship with you, God, that you would call them, that they would see that they, they need you, that they can't do life without you, God. I just thank you for your, your sacrifice to die on the cross for our sins. It's in your name we pray, amen.